If you're anything like me, you have those moments in life where you feel like you missed out on an opportunity. And maybe it was in your career and you had an interview and the first one went great and you thought you crushed it. And then the second one, for whatever reason, you didn't do very good and you didn't get the job. And you look back and you say, man, I missed it. Or, or maybe for, for somebody else, you, know, you found a house or a condo that you just loved. You found it online, but by the time you got there, somebody else had already put an offer. Maybe there were two or three offers on the place. And you think to yourself, man, I've missed these opportunities. And I don't know about you, but I've been there too many times. But I wonder, have you ever missed an opportunity that just sticks with you? It's an opportunity that maybe was so big, it would have changed your life, it would have changed the trajectory of your future, but yet, for whatever reason, you missed it, and now you just can't shake the memory or the feeling. Back in 1998, Larry Page and Sergio Ben started a, just a small little company, um, Sergio Bren started a little company, they developed an internet algorithm called Google. Now, they didn't know what they had. They knew how to search the web, but that was it. They didn't know how they were going to make money. They were quickly running out of money, and just a little investor named Jeff Bezos gave them a million bucks, and, and so they were able to keep going for a while. But they realized they didn't know how they were going to sell anything and keep going as a company. So with fear of going bankrupt, they contacted a company called Excite. Now, Excite was a company that owned other web browsers and was a few steps ahead of Google at the time. And so in 1999, they sit down with the CEO of Excite and they say, hey, we want to sell Google to you for a whopping $1 million. Well, the CEO of Excite turned him down. He didn't like the, de- the, the, the details of the deal from Larry Page and said no. And so a little bit of time goes by and the dot-com crash happened. Uh, uh, about five years later, Google went public, issued an IPO, and Google would at that point be worth $2.3 billion. And in 2001, Excite went bankrupt with the dot-com crash. Now you think every time the owners of Excite, the CEO of Excite, pulls out his phone, what does he see? Google. Every time he goes online to check his email, what browser is he probably starting at? Google. He can't get away from it. He can't shake it. It's always right there in front of him. And actually, Google, if you look up their market capitalization right now, they're worth $1.2 trillion. You talk about missed opportunities. We've all got missed opportunities on our ledger, let's be honest. And some of them are small, and some of them are big, and some of them are okay, and some of them are messy, and some of them are ugly, and some of them stick with you. I think one of the questions we have to ask as, as people is how do we avoid living in the rearview mirror of missed decisions? And when it comes to our faith, what does it look like for us to be able to capitalize on those opportunities that God provides us and not feel like we missed the biggest opportunity of our life? Today in our series on parables, we're going to see Jesus talk about missed opportunities and the parable we're going to find in Matthew chapter 22. And Jesus is going to give us this parable of this wedding feast. And it's going to be one of those parables that when you read it first, it, it, it seems like it's maybe going in one direction. But as you unfold it and dig deeper, you're going to realize that this parable is not as it seems. This parable is deep and rich and unfolds so much truth for us. But in this parable, Jesus is going to point to each of us, to me and to you. And he's going to say, have you missed your opportunity? Don't miss it. 
If you've been with us the past few weeks, we've been in a series called Parables, and we're looking at the parables that Jesus told, uh, especially in the Synoptic Gospels, so Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And there's about 30 parables uh, are similar in those three. Uh, some scholars say there's 50 total parables that Jesus told, and some can escalate that number even more. But a parable is a short story. It's an illustration. It's a, it's a comparison to help us see something real about ourselves, but also see something true and real and rich about God and who he is. And so today we're going to look at this parable about the, the wedding feast. But I want to back up a little bit. If you got your Bibles, grab those and look at Matthew chapter 22. Just one chapter before in Matthew 21 is what we call the triumphal entry. That's when Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a donkey and people are saying, the king is here. They're putting coats down, palm branches, and, and people are cheering that this, this king who they thought was going to be this warrior king is, is here. And so the Pharisees don't like it. The Pharisees start hammering Jesus with questions. Like, where do you get all of this authority to tell us what to do, Jesus? Do you hear the people calling you king? How can you let them do that? And so Jesus does what he always does. He gives us a triad of parables. He, he gives us three parables in, in Matthew chapter 21 and 22. And the first one, he gives this parable about a father who sent, asks his two sons to go work in the vineyard. And one goes, one says he's going to go but doesn't. And one says he won't go, but does. And he says, which one was more faithful? And so then he gives another parable about workers in a vineyard who end up killing the landowner's son. And all these parables are just digging down to these religious people that are asking Jesus these questions. And then he gives us the third parable, this one. And it seems like with Jesus, the third parable is often like the most powerful. It's kind of like Return of the Jedi, right? You know, Star Wars fans, right? Like, the, like some people think Empire Strikes Back's the best. But it's Return of the Jedi. I don't know. We can arm wrestle later, right? Ron's like, uh-uh, never. So, but in here, he, Jesus is going to challenge us. He's going to press in, and he's going to talk about missed opportunities with a picture of a wedding feast. So let's dive into this. Matthew chapter 22, starting in verse 1. Here, let's see what he says. And again, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. And sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. And so the parable, again, it's a comparison, it's an illustration, it's a picture, right? And so imagine a Jewish wedding. Here's a picture of like a modern Jewish wedding. They're having a great time. A Jewish wedding in Jewish culture, in our culture today, I mean, weddings are amazing. We have an amazing time, don't we? Didn't we? So Jewish weddings, this was like the highlight of the year for these families. And they come together and they have a great time and the family's invited. But in Jewish culture, it was often uh, interesting the way that, that weddings were done. Nowadays, we get married, we get engaged, we, we get engaged, we send out a save the date. Well, back in those days, the, the husband and wife, the, the boyfriend, girlfriend, right, fiance situation, they would get betrothed, and then they would set a date a year in advance, and then the husband would go build the house, and then all of, they would kind of court in the middle of the situation, and then they would go and they would have this feast, and it would last up to a week. We talked a little bit about this when Jesus turned water into wine. And so in this case, the family knew the wedding was coming. The date was set. It had been set for a year. They had it marked on their calendars. And so what Jesus is saying is he's comparing this wedding feast, this highlight of the year, this moment of joy and peace and jubilation to the kingdom of God. 
See, Jesus talked about the kingdom of God more than he talked about anything else. And the kingdom of God isn't this place that exists in some spiritual dimension. The kingdom of God isn't like just figmented of an idea, figment of an idea or something abstract. The kingdom of God is a, a real, tangible thing that God brings for his people. And so the kingdom of God is living in the reality that God is your king. Trusting that God is your king. It's the allegiance that God is your king, not the world, not the president, not anything else. It's, it's, it's God. And so living in this kingdom of God is a reality that all of us experience the moment we say yes and begin to follow Jesus. So, so often we think about becoming a Christian as this thing where you say, yes, Jesus, I believe in you. And then when I die, I go to heaven. The reality of becoming a Christian and following Jesus is when we say yes to Jesus, we say, yes, Jesus, I will follow you. Heaven is an absolute reality for us. But eternal life starts the day, the moment, the second, the micro millisecond you say yes to Jesus because the Holy Spirit comes into your life and he begins to change you. At that moment, you enter into God's kingdom where by your allegiance you say, yes, I'm going to follow you. And so Jesus is talking about this kingdom, the kingdom that he came to bring, the kingdom that starts today and lasts forever, no matter where your physical body is. And so he said, the kingdom of heaven is like this big party, and everybody knew the kingdom was going to happen, the party was going to happen. And so it says this, it's time for the party. The, the, say, date, the dates have already been sent. The RSVPs have already been received. And so now because text messaging was really expensive back in those days, he sends out servants to go round up the guests rather than shoot him a quick text or an email. And so the, the servants go out, notice verse 3, the servants go out and they invited those who were invited to call. They called those who were invited, but they would not come. So, so some here you need to see that Jesus is talking about here. The people they went out to invite were the people who already RSVP'd. So you guys, you know, Kyle Kinsey, you guys recently got married. So you had a list of people that RSVP'd. So there's reminders and all kinds of things that go out. Imagine you're there and nobody comes. And so the king's thinking to himself, well, what's going on? All these people said they were going to come, but yet they didn't show up. So notice what he does in verse 4. It says here in in verse 4 that he sent out another group of servants. So he sends other servants saying, tell those who were invited, See, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. So he, he basically calls. He says, look, guys, the ribs are ready. Joe Richardson's been working on the smoker for a week. Like, we're ready to go. We've got the best Casey beans, Jack Stack beans. We've dry shipped them in. Like, they're, they're that good. Sam Rhodes made the wedding cake. I mean, it's going to be the... He's selling them on why they should come, even though they already RSVP'd. And notice what he says. It says, but they paid what? No attention. And went off, one to his farm, another to his business. And notice verse 6. This is crazy. While the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. Like, what? He's like, you already RSVP'd. But now they're making all these excuses. Well, I got to go to work. Well, I got to go take care of my family. And, and some of them even mistreated the, his servants. He, they even killed some of them. And notice verse 7. So what does the king do? He's like, well, you know, I'll just eat all this food myself. No. I mean, he sends out the big dogs, right? Notice this. And the king was angry. And he sent out his troops. And he destroyed those murderers 
and he burned their city. <laughs> now remember, Jesus is telling the story, right? Like this, is, this isn't like a Mel Gibson movie. This is like Jesus telling this to a group of religious leaders who are hammering with him with questions about this kingdom of God. And he says, the people that killed the servants, that didn't pay attention, that had other things to do, God came after him. Now, now, okay, now remember Jesus' audience here, okay, so he's talking to religious people. He's talking to Pharisees. Somebody say Pharisee. He's talking to Pharisees. He's talking to the Sadducees. And, you know, the Sadducees, they didn't believe in the eternal life, and that's why they were sad. You see? I've been waiting forever to tell that joke. So, but, but he's talking to these religious people, and these religious people, they lived in this, uh, this economy of, of faith where it was all about checking the boxes. It was all about doing the things that God wanted them to do. It was all about observing the Sabbath. It was all about giving a tenth of the dill that they grew in their garden. And so Jesus shows up, and Jesus is like, hey, guys, the Bible had been talking about God coming to fix what was broken for thousands of years, and I am here, and I'm bringing a new way, and I'm bringing a new covenant. So you guys don't have to do all that anymore. What you need to do is follow me. He said something, the old is gone, the new has come. But they missed it. See, Jesus showed up and said, I'm the one that God promised that would come. Everything changes now. But the religious people, they said, no, you're not. And they rejected him. They, they would later arrest him because they were too busy. And the, the reality is that, that a lot of us, we, we've RSVP'd. We said yes at summer camp. We walked the aisle one time and said, Jesus, I want to I say yes. I want to believe. We joined a church. We, we got plugged in somehow. That's us sending back our RSVP. But then we didn't show up. We thought we were coming. But we didn't come. We didn't make it because we got too busy. Or we got too distracted. Or because something else stole our heart and our affections. See, let me drill this down. The key to knowing if you are in the kingdom of heaven or not. The kingdom of knowing if you are if you are in the party is have you shown up? Because God's invited you. Are you there? Don't sit at home and wonder, I hope I can do enough good that God's going to let me in. God has already invited you by sending Jesus. And now the invitation exists for every single one of us. And it's beautiful. The question is, are we going to show up to the party or not? If you're there, you know you're in. So notice what happens next. So the, the, everybody says no. They all end up walking, you know, end up walking home and, and not showing back up, even though they are RSVP'd. And so notice what happens in verse eight. It says this. Then he said to his servants, "The wedding feast is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy." So verse nine. Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you can find. So notice there's a really real picture in this, 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 this parable that the invite has expired for these people. We don't understand exactly how this works, but in this case, the, the invite has expired. I don't know about you guys, but any parents, you guys know this. So, you know, as parents, you make a delicious dinner for your kids, right? Like, you go to Trader Joe's, and you buy, the, like, the really delicious tortellini with the cheese inside, and, you know, and then you make delicious chicken, and, and it's ready to go, and you say, hey, kids! Come on downstairs, dinner's ready. 
or in our house. Come upstairs, dinner's ready, and they don't come. And you're like, the food's getting cold. If you guys don't make it, it's going to go bad. Well, what would it be like if Emma, my oldest, said, thanks, Dad, I'm thinking about it. I'll let you know if I decide to come, right? Like, I'm going to ponder whether or not I like that kind of chicken and whether it's the right blend of seasonings. And, and if it is good, Dad, don't you worry. I'll come a couple weeks probably. It won't take more than two weeks. I'll, I'll, I'll be there. What's going to happen when she comes upstairs? That food's going to be nasty, right? I'm not going to want to eat that. The food expired. So I think there's this very real reality sometimes that, that we in our faith, we think, okay, God, I know you've invited me to this party. I'm just not sure I'm ready yet. i got to think a little more, God. I just need to spend a little more time, you know, thinking through all the details. I'm just not sure if it's right for me just yet. Oh, wait, wait, God, you know, I know that what you're calling me to is going to be amazing, but I, I kind of want to dabble over here for a little while. I'm having too much fun doing this. And then could the RSVP expire? Could the event invitation expire? I, I, I don't know. I, I just think there's an element here that we don't understand that these people, they, they said yes to Jesus. And he said, you guys didn't come when I invited you. So I just think there's, a, there's, a, there's an immediacy here. God is saying, look, I've invited all of you. Don't wait. Come. I've given you an invitation to the party. Come. Because you don't want to miss it. You never want to miss it. See, I think this is, it, it's really easy in our life to, to create excuses and, and to get busy and to get distracted. But there's a reality here is that you make time for what you value. So I think one of the things Jesus is saying here is that we show up what we show up for reveals what we find most important. Like what we show up for reveals what is most important for us. My, my very first sermon I ever preached at a church I served at, I, I preached at a couple, of country, a couple of country churches and stuff, but the very first time I got to preach in front of a, at a church I was serving at, I remember inviting all of my family members that were the biggest encouragers. Right, I invited my grandparents, I invited my parents, I invited uh, a couple cousins to come join me. And they didn't have to come. And I remember I was preaching on Philippians chapter 2, and it was a terrible sermon. I mean, it was just, it was terrible. Troy's like, it was really bad. But I looked out in the crowd, and there was my grandparents. My grandma was were there. My grandpa was there. My mom and dad was there. Troy and Natalie were there. And I felt like, man. People are buying it. People are, are supporting me. This is good. You show up for what is most important to you. Think about your life. If somebody calls you and says, I, I want you to come, and you go, that's somebody who's important to you. But how many times have we said, yeah, yeah, I'll be there. Don't you worry. We don't go. Have you done that with Jesus? Have you RSVP but not shown up? How are you spending your time? That's what I want you to ask yourself today is look at your life. Look at the way you live. Look at the way you spend your time. Look at the things you follow and invest your energy and money and time into. Is it Jesus? Is it the kingdom of heaven? Or is it something else? Is it something else that's distracted you? So look back at this parable here. Verse 8. Then he says to the servants, the wedding feast is ready, but those invited are not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you can find. And those servants went out to the roads and gathered all whom they found, both good and bad. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. Don't you love that? He says, go invite everybody, good and bad and ugly. Right? And like, 
Sometimes we think, oh, you got to be cleaned up to go to church. you got to get it together to go to the party, kingdom of God. And he invites everybody, good, bad, ugly. You don't have to get your act together. You don't got to clean up. He invites you. And so the room is full of guests. Now, this is where it gets really interesting. Notice this. The room is full of guests. People are having a great time, and the king notices something. Verse 11, notice this. But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Okay, don't miss that speechless. That's key. I mean, so the reality is that the guy gets invited to this wedding, and he's probably hanging out somewhere. Maybe he's playing beach volleyball, and he's wearing shorts and sand all over his feet. And he gets invited to this wedding. And the king asked him that question. He could have made an excuse, right? Well, like, I was hanging out, and your guys invited me. Or, you know, I, I just, I, I didn't have any time to go change. He could have made a million excuses, but what excuse does he give? He doesn't. He's speechless. See, that's important. Notice what happens next. Then the king said to his attendants, bind him hand and foot, man, and cast him into the outer, what? Darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. So this is where the parable gets hard. And this is where the parable gets difficult. And this is one of those spots where we read this and we kind of get, get lost. Because all of a sudden we go, whoa, what is that about, God? Why would you do that? Like, why would you kick this guy out? He got invited by you, and now you're kicking him out? God, that doesn't make any sense. Why would you do something like that? You invited him. That doesn't make any sense. And see, this is where the parable gets hard, because sometimes we like to think of God as this, like, squishy grandpa who's just happy with whatever time he can get with you, right? Like, oh, I came over and spent some time. Great, I loved it. Thanks for coming. I'll see you next time. Come as often as you can. And so we think of God like that. And then when we see God get harsh in certain situations, we're like, well, no, I don't know. Yeah, it can't be. That's not the God I worship. Or why would God do that? And it shakes us up a little bit. I want you to see there's something going on here. Don't miss this. God is not being mean. God is not being cruel for kicking these guys out. There's something implied that we miss. Here's what we have to ask. What are the rest of the people wearing? What do you think? Wedding garments, right? Where did they get the wedding garments from? The king, right? They all got invited off the street, and the king, his servants, gave them wedding garments. And so why doesn't this guy have a wedding garment on? Because he refused to wear it. And so the king looks up. He sees this banquet hall full of people for the wedding feast, and everybody's wearing the Louis V. tux that he gave them, except the one guy. And he walks over and he says, hey, man, how come you're not wearing the, you know, that tux? That thing was like five grand. Like, why aren't you wearing that tux? And he doesn't say anything because he knows he's wrong because he got invited, but he wanted to come in his own way. He rejected the king's garments. And if you read this parable and understand what he's saying, that if we reject God, if we reject God's invitation to us, then we're not rejecting God as some innocent child who just doesn't understand. We're rejecting God as an adult who fully understands, fully comprehends what we're saying no to. Every year in the spring, the Metropolitan Museum of Arts and Costumes has a fundraiser called the Met Gala. If you guys have ever seen the pictures from the Met Gala, people dress in the most 
fashionable dresses and tuxedos. Here's a picture of Rihanna, right? Like that train goes for like 30 feet. So you, you show up to this. It's a true black tie affair, but, you know, you're supposed to wear the who's who's of fashion. And I, let's just be honest, I'm not getting invited to this thing, right? Now imagine, you get invited to the Met Gala, and everybody shows up like that. Everybody shows up wearing tuxes and suits like the guys in the back. But yet, you say no, and you show up like this. You decide to show up <laughs> like a Jimmy Buffett parrot head. What do you think is going to happen? What do you think is going to happen? The host is going to escort you out the door, right? And there's going to be a few very large men that used to play a defensive tackle that are going to throw you into the street. And they're going to say, look, what are you doing? You were invited to this very special affair. And you showed up in your own clothes because you said you wanted to do it your own way. And they're going to ask you to leave. See, this is what's going on here. The guy doesn't say, sorry, king, I should have wore what you gave me. No, the guy wears what he wants to wear because he wants to do it the way he wants to do it. And when we say, God, thank you for the invitation, but I'm going to do it my way because it's my body, it's my life, it's my worldview, it's my money, it's my relationship, then what we end up saying is, God, I don't care what you have to say about me. And when we say that to the king, it's an act of war. And so... How are we responding to the king's invitation? Because the king says, sorry, sir, you can't stay. See, the reality of church is this, is that when we reject God, we say, God, I don't want you in my life, and I don't want what you have to offer. And the natural implication of rejecting God is that the world, apart from God and apart from his kingdom, is a world of utter darkness. Remember Genesis chapter 1, if you guys were with us, or if you've been in church and you've read Genesis 1 before? What does he say? God created everything, and it was good. God creates music and art and beautiful things. God creates light and water and everything you can imagine. And if we say, God, no, I don't want what you create, and I don't want you, then the opposite of God's light is dark. And the opposite of God's God's quenching is thirst. And the opposite of God's beauty and gorgeous creation is ugliness. And that's why if you meet someone who is just miserable, if you meet somebody who is always glasses half empty, if you meet somebody who just, you don't even want to spend any time around them, there's a good chance they got that way over time, getting grouchy and jaded because they said, God, I don't want your beauty. Instead, I want to do it my way, and the reality from that is darkness, where everything just gets a little less sweet, a little less rich, a little less beautiful. And so don't don't miss this. What Jesus is is saying here is that God invites us into the party, and he gives us the garment to put on. And God's expectation is if we're going to come into this party that doesn't cost us anything, that completely free to us, that doesn't that do anything but give us joy and peace and hope and happiness and all these beautiful things, then we're going to have to go in and wear the garment that the king gives us. And here's the reality, guys. I think it's what Jesus wants us to see here. Don't miss this. It cost everything to invite us to the party. But we didn't pay it. God paid it. It cost God everything to invite us to the party because God loves you so much, he sent Jesus here to die for you on the cross instead of you. That God loved you so much, Jesus rose from the grave so that you can have eternal life, that you can have power over sin, that you can have life today. Jesus paid all that. Jesus took it all. 
And all God is asking us to do is to come in and take off the filthy rags that we came in on. Take off that nasty t-shirt that you've been wearing since 1986 that your wife has been telling you to get rid of already. Take that off and put on this Louis Vuitton beautiful suit, whatever's better than Louis Vuitton, that Jesus gave his life for. And come and experience the beauty and the richness and the grace of the party of the kingdom. So Jesus says this, that what you wear reveals your allegiance. Bronco fan, Sunday morning, what are you going to do? You're wearing your shirt. Pete somewhere is wearing a Bills jersey right now because they play in about two minutes. Reality is we wear what we are allegiant to, our allegiance is. So what are you wearing? When God invites you to the party, when God has invited you in, what are you showing up in? See, Here's what I love about this parable as we get ready to close. I love about this parable is this, that God shows us he invites everybody into the kingdom. You notice this? Sometimes we get hung up on asking, you know, what about the people who never hear? Like, what about the people in Africa or in the villages of China that never get to hear the word of God? What about them? Because I can't believe in God that he would save me from my sin, but never tell them. The king invites everybody. Everybody gets invited. And what God does is he raises up people like you and me to go take the invitation to him. And there's a beautiful reality here that if they, God's going to judge and hold them accountable based on what they hear and what they get. And so let's not get hung up on that. God is inviting everybody. And the craziness is he may invite you to go invite them to join us. See, and there's also this beautiful reality here that, that we don't have to earn our invitation, that we're already invited. Like, you don't have to behave so you can belong. You just got to believe. Believe so you can belong. And this is what God is calling us to do, and it's this, this beautiful freedom. This parable shows that Jesus wants us to, to bring him our mess, and he will take our nasty clothes and exchange them for princely robes. But what I also love about this parable is this, that it shows us how God uses people to invite other people to the party. Look at verse 9. It says this. Go. He tells the servants, go. Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you can find. The reality is, guys, God invites us to invite others to the party. God calls us to invite others to the party. This is how God has decided to expand the kingdom of heaven is by using you and me as it's crazy as that is. When I was 14 years old, I got invited by Jared and Brennan Conklin to a youth conference in Branson, Missouri. And I, I was part of youth group. I got saved when I was five years old. And my grandma, I got saved at home with my grandma reading the wordless book and put my faith in Jesus at five. But it was 14, I get invited by Jared and Brendan. And so I go down to Branson and we go to this youth conference. And we're sitting in this large group with thousands of kids my age. And the, 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 the speaker is presenting the gospel and talking about sin. And I just remember in that moment, I just, I think I just got overcome by the realization of how ugly sin is in my own life and how sin separates us from God. And I, I think I've told a few of this, you this story before. I just started crying. I'm just like snot bubbling and bawling. 14 years old, trying to be cool with the girls in youth group. Cool is out the window. There was no more maybe. It was no after, right after that. So I, I go up to the front, and I, I'm just crying, and one of the leaders comes over and puts their hand on my shoulder, and, hey, what's going on? I said, man, I just, I just can't 
overcome this feeling of the weight of sin. I, I want to rededicate my life to Jesus. And so I stood there in front of a thousand people and rededicated my life to Jesus. And I'm crying and people are putting hands on and all that. And it was just after that that I felt God calling me into ministry. I remember that clear as day. But here's the reality. Thank God that Jared and Brendan invited me to that youth conference. Thank God that my grandma shared the gospel with me when I was a little one at home. Thank God that they didn't just say, well, he'll figure it out and get busy with other things and other excuses. Thank God that, that God used them. Every one of you here in this room today that have said yes to Jesus, somebody is in your story. God used somebody to share the gospel with you. And thank God they did. Thank God they said, well, I'm just going to shovel his snow and bring him banana bread, and they're going to see that Jesus died for their sins. Thank God that God uses people in our lives to help us get invited to the party so we can come and we can experience and we can meet the king himself. See, see God wants us to invite others to the party. So have you? I want to close. I'll bring the band back on stage and close with this. Back in November, some of you might remember that there was the Taylor Swift fiasco when it came to tickets. Anybody get any of those tickets, by the way? No. <laughs> no. So I don't know. Do you guys remember this happened? So Ticketmaster just, their systems basically shut down. Taylor Swift's tickets went on sale. They, they put up 2.4 million tickets to be sold, and 17 million people got online to buy the tickets. You can imagine the systems, everybody got stuck in queue. They sold 2.4 million and everybody got stuck without one. People started reselling them on the resale market like uh, StubHub and SeatGeek and tickets were going for $23,000 to go see Taylor Swift. And it, it was just a mess. But I think about that and I think about our own lives. How many times do we get stuck in the queue? Are we waiting for something to happen? And we're chasing after something. And it, and it can be a good thing. We're chasing after a career. We're chasing after a relationship. We're chasing, chasing after success. Or we're chasing after that, a number in our bank account or our 401k. And we feel like we're stuck in this queue just waiting for something to happen. And at the same time, God has invited you and me and all of us to the greatest party that has ever happened. The kingdom of heaven. So I, I guess the question I want to ask you guys is, have you RSVP'd to the party? Have you realized that you've been invited by the King of Heaven, the one that spoke the world into existence, the one that came and gave his life to you, for you to join him into the kingdom of heaven, which starts today for you, or the day you said yes, and it's the only place that's going to lead to joy and peace and hope? And faith and life and deepness? Are you still waiting, hoping the invite will come, missing the fact that it's been in your mailbox all this time? See, my guess is that there's some people in this room today who are tuning in online today that are still in the queue, still hoping they're going to get the ticket, still waiting and thinking if they can just be good enough, they can just do enough good things, if they can just account for all the bad, stupid stuff they've done, then God's going to invite them in. And I want you to see that your invitation is right here. Because Jesus tells us that God, for so God loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but will experience everlasting life. For 
some of us, we've got the RSVP and we sent it back and we said we're coming but we haven't came yet. And if that's you today, here's my encouragement to you is just take a step closer to the king. You're here today. That's a great step in that direction. Spend some time with the king. Follow the king. For others of us here in the room today, we showed up to the party and we've had a great time. We've been eating and drinking and being merry. God is calling you now to take it a step further and invite somebody else to the party. Because Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is beautiful and rich and glorious. And God wants us all to be there. And as we step into that kingdom and begin to live out the life that Jesus called us to live, we will experience something that our hearts have never known. And we'll want to tell it and share it with everybody. So let's be kingdom people.